Welcome to the Off Trail Podcast. I'm Constantine. And I'm Magpie. And this is a show about life outdoors. Come take a step with us into what it takes to be a hiker, backpacker, rock climber, cyclist, or any other type of outdoor adventure. Let's get to stepping. All right, welcome back to the Off Trail Podcast. My name is Constantine, and today we have... The one and only Matthew or Masochist on the show with us. So, Masochist, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. So, we actually were able to catch up with you, and I did not know how recently it was until we were chatting before the show that you just um, recently wrapped up a trail last Sunday. And I want to unpack, get deep into that concept here in the show. But before we do, I want to open up the show to you, um, kind of set a baseline, let the viewers kind of know who you are. So the big first question we usually ask our guests, big, broad, open-ended, let you take it where it will, is who are you? Uh, At this point, I'm kind of an indigent uh, hiker slash ex-IT person. Um, Basically, in 2019, I quit an IT job that was going down the drains, and um, a summer off turned into going and doing my dive master and then uh, deciding to maybe finally go do the PCT. Mm-hmm. So we did that in 2020. Um, I found myself at the monument there, decided I wanted to go do something else because, you know, the PCT had been a goal for 10 years and here I had completed it. So then I ended up going and doing the Eastern Continental Trail, um, which is basically like the AT plus a little 2,800 mile plus. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> That, that was a big 10-month thing. And then, of course, after you've done two of the Triple Crown Trails, you've got to, you know, finish it off. Mm-hmm. And I also like doing kind of the, the lesser-known trails out there. I've done some things like the Condor Trail and the Theodore Solomon Trail. I've never even heard of the Theodore Solomon. I've heard of the Condor, and we've had a guest on that has done the Condor. And I would love to pick your brain about that a little bit, too. But before we get into the trails themselves, so, like... I'm somewhat familiar with kind of your journey into the thru-hiking world, the backpacking world. I We actually met, uh, what, two years ago, a year and a half ago, very very briefly, and there's a story yeah. there too. Um, but when you left this IT job, like your, I guess, progression into the outdoors was very quick. Like it was, I don't want to use the term extreme, but you threw yourself all the way in there. Like you said, you got a dive master certificate, you did all these trails some people just dip their toe in the water but you kind of went headfirst into the outdoor world so what brought about that change yeah i've I've always kind of failed at moderation in various (laughs) ways uh i've been doing outdoor stuff like weekend backpacks and things like that for about 10 years and then it was just a combination of frustrations at you know my it career with just employers screwing over the employees, embezzling from the company, yada, yada, things going down. And um, I also had kind of a rash of, uh, you know, friends and acquaintances who had either life-altering medical issues or actually passed away. Mm. And all of that kind of just hit at once and decided, you know, screw it. Mm. And it really we took that initial summer off. We did the JMT. I went and did the DM. And when I came back from there, I had been on the move for a couple of months and I just, I really didn't feel like I needed my apartment anymore. Mm -hmm. 
And if we were going to do this, we wanted to do it, you know, properly and not have anything that we were having to worry about back at home. Mm-hmm. So it just, it kind of felt right, made sense. And like I said, the, the friends and, um, acquaintances that were passing away or having health issues just kind of made me appreciate that you don't know how long you have. Yeah. Can, can I ask some, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, cause some of them had, you know, dreams of, Oh, when they retire, Oh, when this happens, that happens, they were going to go do something like the PCT and, uh, they weren't able to just because again, circumstances can change or, you know, you never know how long you got. Yeah. The finiteness of life, uh, especially when you experience it is a, is a very startling wake up call. Can I can I ask you how old you are when you made this transition? Uh, thirty nine. Thirty nine. So you'd been living yeah close to forty years at that point, and I don't want to use the term rat race, but you you've been living forty years in in the, I guess quote unquote real world. At least what hikers like to refer as the real world. Was it startling making that change? Like was it, I guess the reality versus expectations? Can you walk me through what that felt like? It was stressful for me just because I started in the IT industry two weeks out of high school. I had always had a normal paycheck, Mm -hmm. except for uh, during the tech bubble burst, I was out of work for a couple of months. That was hugely stressful. So ironically, my girlfriend actually had to really convince me (laughs) to quit my job and just uh, take a couple of months off so we could do all these trips. She's a school teacher, so she always had summers completely open and i of course had limited vacation time Mm -hmm. um but yeah it was a huge adjustment just because i was used to the kind of day in day out and i would do weekend trips all the time but still that's a huge chunk of your week every week where you know you're just butt in a seat uh working i i also ask this question again kind of with a personal bias because it's something i struggle with with um finding that balance and especially spending more time in the quote unquote real world and then unplugging yourself. I don't want to use that term like I'm referring to the matrix, but drawing yourself into just the natural world and creating your own schedule. Like did you transition discipline into finding balance in your own schedule with travel, with your own schedule with hiking? Like what, what, what do you bring away from the real world to kind of make you comfortable and find that balance in this new life that you're pursuing? Uh, balance is always kind of a hard thing for me because I tend to, you know, throw myself into whatever I'm doing, um, on kind of the more extreme end. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, I mean, transitioning basically once I was free, it wasn't a bunch of just like sitting around. It was, Oh, okay. I'm not doing anything tomorrow. Hey, we're going to go dive. Okay. Here, then I'll meet you after work and we can go do, you know, hike into this campground, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I've, I would say I've done kind of a bad job of any sort of balance. <laughs> and we have a very irregular existence in general mm-hmm. because we're in Southern California because that's where my girlfriend teaches. Okay. And housing is ridiculous out here. So we basically move between campgrounds. Hmm. So there is no set schedule. You know, where we are this week versus next week can be very different. And the situation at the campgrounds themselves is usually very variable. So are you fully, uh, I guess, disbarring the girlfriend's job as a teacher? She has to be in a specific location, but are you kind of fully nomadic right now? Are you and your partner fully nomadic? 
we're still based out of this area because she has a, a school that uh, works really well for her. She really enjoys that. And I also uh, teach some volunteer courses for Sierra Club hmm. that I've kind of held on to tooth and nail and refused to give up despite, you know, jobs and other things that maybe should have pulled me away from it. Mm-hmm. So that keeps me here uh, basically January through March for the big class. And I've taught some other stuff, but it's January through March is the big thing. And then Jen is here for, I guess, August through June ish is her school year. Hmm. Outside of that, we are kind of all over the place. I mean, last year, uh, due to a hiatus in the wilderness class, I was out for 10 months. Okay. So I usually ask this question at the end of the show, but I might ask it here because it kind of puzzle pieces in well here. You've been living kind of a nomadic life, um, a lot of trail life for the past three years um, compared to your previous 39 years. Is there any feelings of you're wanting that to change at this point? Are you enjoying where life is at this point? Have you found that balance? Like, is it something that you and your partner still want to pursue? Yeah, we were actually talking about it since I just got back. You know, we hadn't seen each other since she left the CDT in August. And we were talking about, oh, how are we, you know, enjoying things? And we both intend to continue this. Uh, And we have more plans than we have time for, which is ironic. (laughs) But, you know, so many trails share a season. So I I have a plan for next year. The year after that, I'm actually looking really hard at the American Discovery Trail. But then that means there are other things I want to do, like the Hey Hey Duke and the PNT and things like that. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're planning to continue for the foreseeable. Um, the only real pain point is the living situation because uh, the campgrounds here aren't the most stable situation. Yeah. But it works. Um, we've made it work for three years at this point. We've been through multiple cycles as far as her job and everything. So, you know, we, we've kind of adapted to it. And- Not to mention, when we first moved out, we were living out of the van in campgrounds. It was right when the COVID lockdowns happened. And oh, we survived that. So now that life's quasi back to normal, it's a lot easier. Yeah, I, I asked that question because, like, I think a lot of the time with a lot of people outside looking in, they see a year-round travel life. And they're like, that must just be all glitz and glamour, all great. And even drawing back on personal experience, my partner and I, we've tried the year-round or the 10-month-long, 11-month-long, whatever it is. And there becomes yeah. like travel fatigue or travel burnout like you don't crave necessarily like a home but you crave crave like stability at least a little bit do you and your partner ever go through those spells while traveling yeah i mean it's funny because it used to be when we had an apartment that we lived in the treat was it's the weekend we're gonna go out we're gonna hike Mm. These days, the treat is if we can find like an Airbnb or a cabin somewhere and just have a place to cook and some private space. Yeah. <laughs> we don't really get tired of doing the trips and things like that. I've, I found since I don't have a stable home that I don't have something to miss as much, ironically. Uh, but yeah, I especially some of the times coming back to the campground when people are being loud, people are being obnoxious. It's just exhausting, and all you want is a quiet place to hold up, and that's not always available. Yeah, I think I think I know what you're saying. You kind of find that there becomes an activity or a treat in the concept, and I think this applies to 
a lot of hikers and through hikers especially is like there becomes a treat in the concept of nothingness like if you can have an hour of just like relaxation with your partner with your friends whatever you want to define it as like there can be a full life and activity and just like that precious nothingness for a little bit yeah uh, if we could get if we had the ability to have a cabin or something like that where we could just kind of exist for a little bit and mm. uh you know have a quiet period there's a lot of appeal to that right at the moment yeah. um if not, it wouldn't last long. Once I'm sitting still for about a week or two, I start getting antsy and wanting to move again. But <laughs> yeah, I, I do miss that aspect. Was uh, on that thought you just touched on, I'm curious because I wonder the same thing sometimes is that antsiness that starts creeping up in a week or two. Did Was that in your previous life before you started hitting these long distance trails? Or is it something that came along from, I guess, spending so much time moving? Because I'm the same way. I mean, I sit down for a few days. I appreciate those few days. And then about a week window, about that week window, I'm just like, I need to go do something. I need to go walk for a long distance or something. So is that antsiness from a personality trait you had before getting into long distance hiking or kind of after these long trails? I always kept myself busy. I always did a bunch of different activities and you know, I, during the summer, I would be out every weekend in the Sierra doing this, doing that. So I never really had periods where I was down and not doing anything unless I was injured, mm-hmm. um, which that always drove me nuts. The difference now is just what it takes to kind of scratch that itch. Yep. If I, There's things like scuba diving where if I'm here, there's a lot of effort and things involved in scuba diving. And if I'm going to do that here, that'll keep me busy. But just going out and doing a day hike anymore, that's not enough. I find myself wanting to, you know, long trails tend to be addicting to some of us. Mm-hmm. And when I came back from the PCT, that was the thing. I was looking at all these shorter trips I could go do with friends, and it's just, it didn't seem near as cool, and I wanted to, you know, chase that whole feeling again. Mm-hmm. Hence why I've leaned harder into that. I mean, when I finished the PCT, I was only off trail for three months before I was down in Florida. <laughs> starting that big one so it's a quick turnaround I'm, yeah moderation yeah. M- moderation i'm curious because this is also a reoccurring theme with a lot of the guests i talk to and i'm specifically thinking of buck 30 and apple pie right now shout out to y'all too um and for people that continue to hike longer and longer or just more time each year they like you said those shorter distances don't have the same shine or appeal even though it's still a great adventure so I'm, I'm wondering what your cap is what what is your cap for like that's quote-unquote too short like what is yeah your cap for a too short of an adventure uh mileage wise i think it's less mileage and it's more time it's just there's a huge difference between i'm going out for a week and i know it's going to end i mean i'd never taken a zero or anything else i'd uh, i'd fast pack the jmt and a few other things but I knew it was going to end. And so there was never that sense of I'm here, I'm out here, I'm going to be out here for the duration. When I'm on a long trail, it feels like there is no finishing. You know, the monument, whatever else getting off trail is very far away. And I'm just existing. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's trying to get that feel. So it's probably somewhere in a couple of weeks. Because when I did the Condor Trail, I was out there for a month. Mm-hmm. And that one, I got the sense that I was on a long trail. I was out there. Um, 
doing like a 10 day, something like the JMT there, I always felt like, okay, there is a definite end I'm heading towards. Okay. Okay. It's time. So, uh, did you touch in there that you'd never taken a zero quickly? Did, did I hear that? I'd never taken a zero before doing the PCT. Oh, okay. I'm like, wow, you, uh, you haven't taken yeah. a zero at all? Jesus. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I know people that, like, when they do the JMT, they build in rest days and things like that. I was always so pressed for time and trying to use every vacation day I had that if I was out for five days, I was doing something um, for those five days. And I was yep. mostly peak bagging. Okay. But yeah, there was never any any downtime, never any rest days. It was drive up late at night after work and come back, sleep a few hours, and uh, you know, get on a plane. Okay, that puts it into better context. I heard you've never taken a zero, and I'm like, dude, with everything you did, I feel so lazy now. Like, oh my god. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think you can survive without taking a zero past a certain point. <laughs> yeah, your body, like one. I've found there's mental zeros as well on like really long trails, but like. Yeah, your body just needs a little time sometimes to bounce back. So, yeah, that's why it blew my mind. I'm like, I got to touch on that. I, I think I heard something <laughs> there. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Is the Condor Trail like 450 miles when you said you mentioned the Condor Trail? It's a fairly short trail, correct? It's 409 miles, but it's one of those, you know, trail in quotes. Um at one point, I had eight hours where I was shoving through brush up above my head, you know, like big, solid brush. Mm. So it's not like one of those that you can knock out 25-mile days dependably. Yeah, because, again, I'm a little familiar with your pace and kind of the mileage you do. But for the listeners, like you said, the Condor Trail took you a month. And we had a previous guest on that had done the Condor Trail as well. And I heard uh, kind of the conditions out there. So... Yeah, let's, let's kind of get into the Condor Trail a little bit. Um, I do want to circle back to the beginning of your hike, but we're here now, so yeah. let's get into this. Um, let's first get yeah into the Condor Trail. What type of trail is that? You said it's 409 miles, but yeah, what are the trail conditions and I guess the overview for you of what is the Condor Trail? So the Condor Trail is a trail up through Los Padres, and it's kind of interesting because basically the concept in the 90s was to basically show off what's out there, but to make a trail without any considerations for, you know, resupply or what trails were in the best shape. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the routes, it's literally routed through an area because if a trail existed, that's where they would put it because it's a good view or it connects like this, that, or the other. <laughs> it's also not very well known. I had just started looking around trying to find some longer things to do to kind of prep for the PCT mm -hmm. and I came across mention of it and like I said I like those things that are not done as often uh, per the guy with the guidebook I think I'm the fifth person ever to have like actually through hiked the thing okay. um, it is a as far as conditions it varies uh, as with all of Southern California it gets impacted by fires and things like that the southern half of it uh, wasn't too bad. Uh, there were a lot of really nice sections, and things seemed to be going pretty smoothly. Mm -hmm. There is a pretty long section where you have to go along PCH. Uh, you know, I was stealth camping down off the side of the road, stuff like that. And then getting up towards Monterey, there were uh, rougher sections and a lot more, you know, bushwhacking. Okay. And by bushwhacking, it's full body flinging yourself through the vegetation. Jeez. <laughs> what 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 was your so again 
we're gonna have to circle back to this. But so you had done the PCT, you had done the ECT, and was the Condor Trail in between the ECT and CDT for you? I initially went out to try it in 2020, okay. and uh, the backcountry going southbound, and the backcountry in Monterey was shut down due to COVID lockdowns. They were patrolling mm-hmm. and chasing people out of there. Mm-hmm. So I did um, a, a week or two on it and just did the section and then uh, went off, did the PCT. And before doing the CDT, I knew the reputation of the CDT. And I tend to go with, you want to have a really hard prep hike. So it prepares you for all the kind of indignities of being on the actual trail. <laughs> and that seemed like it would be a good fit. So the Condor Trail was one of uh, a handful of prep trips I did this time. Did you know with what you were getting into with the Condor Trail? Because like the PCT and a lot of the ECT, Appalachian Trail and Florida Trail, like it's, I'm going to just use the term, it's broken in trail. Like it, a lot of people hike it. So you have the community around it. You have the trail culture around it. You have all this stuff around it. Plus not as heavy bushwhack. Um, I use that term loosely for the Florida Trail, but like not as heavy bushwhack. So like, yeah. Did you know what you were going into with the Condor Trail? Like, did was the reality different than the expectations? I did because the first time I'd been out there, uh, the second day I ended up uh, having to bushwhack through some raspberry bushes. My hiking pants shredded and I was just getting ripped to pieces having to bushwhack through like heavy raspberry bushes to get down to the river. Um, so ironically, I think I did the hardest section of that trail twice because I did, you know, in in 2020 and then coming back, I did the entire thing. So I, I knew what I was getting into and my gear was better ready this time Mm -hmm. because last time I had lighter weight stuff, I was basically trying to get my PCT stuff ready in, um, 2020 and, you know, you see people on the AT that have kind of the gypsy look with, they have a small pack and they have stuff hanging on the, off the outside. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work when you're doing heavy bushwhacking. Everything has to be inside. Everything has to be, you know, contained, lashed down, because otherwise you're going to lose it. So just from hearing the description of this trail, there's a lot of obstacles that you don't get on other trails. So it's completely different hiking and that I guess I could be said true for almost any trail but like the concept of hiking pushing through brush bushwhacking is so far different than the big three so where do you find your enjoyment in a trail like the Condor Trail um if you if you enjoyed it like where do you get your fuel to keep hiking those types of routes and trails I I you know, I come to outdoor recreation kind of through peak bagging. I always joke that I was goal oriented mm-hmm. with recreation. I'm always big on the goal. I want to go do something. I can, I'm perfectly capable of going out and just spending X days in the backcountry, but I like going A to B trying to do something. So anytime I hear of a new trail or something like that, it perks up just because it's like, okay, kind of, it's a goal, it's a check mark, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And while I really enjoyed being on the PCT in 2020 because we had almost nobody out there, Mm -hmm. uh, the crowds on the AT really weren't my speed. Even starting the CDT southbound, there were more people around at like East Glacier and Luna's than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. So I kind of gravitate towards the more lightly traveled trails. I actually really enjoyed the Florida Trail for multiple reasons, but because it's not as heavily traveled. You run into people every couple of days, but it's not like you're just constantly running into groups and you can't find a campsite alone. Okay. So you get enjoyment out of trails like this. Um, 
So, okay, I want to circle back then. I want to go back to the beginning for you, or at least the beginning into, you said you had done the JMT, but the beginning into like multiple thousand mile long treks. And so your beginning was on the PCT, the year of 2020, which everybody knows about that year. What was that introduction like? Because you're not getting the same trail culture. You're not getting all these quote unquote classical things from a through hike. So yeah, what was that intro like to, I guess, long distance through hiking for you? I mean, it was kind of stressful because at the end of 2019, everything's all set. I'd come back from Thailand after doing the DM thing, so I was on a boat for two months. Came back, we're set on doing the PCT, we shut down the apartment, we move into a local campground, everything's ready, I start, I do the wilderness class, I start doing prep hikes, and then everything goes crazy. In March, things start shutting down. Mm-hmm. And once I was... Uh, you know, we ended up with the campground shutting down because that was, you know, the policy for lockdowns in California. Mm-hmm. So we were hopping around in Airbnbs just watching the news, trying to figure out if we were going to be able to hike or not. When I started the PCT, Jen drove me down there because it's about two hours away to Campo. Mm-hmm. She dropped me off and there wasn't a single person at the monument. I didn't see anybody till the second day. Wow. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to continue. Basically, we decided, well, there are people out there, um, at least in the southern section, I had the capability to go out, be resupplied by Jen from trail so I could avoid towns. So we had basically decided, okay, we're going to go out, we're going to see how it goes. And if it feels like we're, you know, putting people at risk, we're going to do harm, then um, we can bail. So it was not quite the triumphant excited start a lot of people end up having that is stressful having to play each day by ear i mean like any hike you kind of always have to play each day by ear but the each day of whether or not there's going to be a factor that pushes you off of your out of your own power that's that is that is a stressful introduction so yeah after like a week it kind of it became very normal because once the people that were out there everybody had their reasons for being out there there was nobody that was kind of like yeah i decided to kind of go at the last minute mm-hmm. and it was very normal as far as that and i enjoyed the less crowds i've had friends who have done the trail over the last couple of years and it's crazy compared with what our experience was in 2020 i mean i was in the i-10 oasis and there was nobody wow um and that has huge crowds most of the time. Yeah. I think I camped with somebody else three or four times the entire trail. Wow. And that was including staying at like Sayad at Rachel's and things like that. It was like a private tour of the PCT. <laughs> it, it was amazing, which is unfortunate because now I love the PCT, but I don't think I could go back and do it with the crowds, quite frankly. It would just be a completely different experience. Could always go southbound. I know there's still crowds on southbound, but it's just... <coughs> Excuse me. It would still mitigate at least part of that uh, heavy, heavy influx of the beginning hikers. Yeah, and I looked at that. The thing is, with the fire season hitting California, yeah, um, I don't know about this year, but the previous two years, there were zero legitimate end-to-end southbounders just because California shut down completely and you couldn't make it through. Yeah. I know some pretty fast hikers that, you know, they got blocked off because, again, California now has just decided, okay, we shut the forest down completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that would be a bummer, getting two-thirds of the way, halfway, and then, you know, all of a sudden you've just got to exit because there's not even a hike, way to hike around it. Yeah, especially with California, you might just have to accept some road walks going southbound. Like we were talking before the show, um, the fact that you were able to connect every step and have a classic hike of the PCT in 2020, like, 
so recently is impressive in itself. I mean, <laughs> there's not many people that can say that these these days. <laughs> yeah, I felt very lucky. And at one point uh, through Oregon and Washington, it felt like I was running just ahead of the fires. So there was a lot of stress there. But I, I really wanted to do every step. And so I was really happy with how that went. Nice. I, I want to unpack a little bit of the hike itself on the PCT before we hop forward to the ECT. So like, this is your first introduction into long distance hiking. You have a hiking background, so you kind of know what to expect. But the measures that you had to take on this trail um, were different, as you said. You had your partner resupply you for the beginning hike. What was like the experiences as you continued to move down the trail of having to get necessities, of like having a resupply, going into a trail town, having to get a motel or a campground? Like, was each experience, I guess, unique to the town, or was there like a method you found that would let you have the least amount of impact? It was a lot more normal than expected. There was a lot of doom and gloom. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the online communities just kind of self-destructed with people, you know, screaming at each other. And uh, there were even death threats against people on um, like around Big Bear and things like that. Jeez, that's but not okay. on trail, it was actually very uh, kind of normal that we were still able to get hitches um we had, you know, buffs to pull up, wear masks going in. There were still hotels open. Mm. Uh, the lockdown where you couldn't get services and things like that was before we left. Some of the people that left early in the season, I know they got up to like Idlewild and had to get off the trail because everything shut down. Mm -hmm. But my start date was May 4th. Mm -hmm. And by then... It was kind of empty, and there was none of kind of the easy, oh, hey, there's a shuttle driver who's just parked here, um, especially in the Southern California desert. But it still it was possible to get in. There were still some trail angels that were operating. Okay. Uh, Uber is a thing, you know, in, around some of the cities. And I also, I, I don't spend as much time in towns as some people. Okay. So there was still there was still a normalcy. Uh, I use that term loosely, but there was still a normalcy aspect to it. Of you could do the essentials of a hiker to continue forward. Yeah, I mean, we were always able to get a hotel. Um, we were always able to resupply. We bought almost the entire way. We sent a few boxes ahead of to ourselves in like Northern California. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I mean. The situation out there has always been changing anyway. There's places like Casa de Luna and whatnot that have shut down in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, so those were missing, but it wasn't really something that I missed. I was really, really happy with that entire experience. Awesome. Uh, my only regret is that I can't do it again under those circumstances. Because, you know, we had a class of under 300 people wow. when somebody counted the uh, book at the end. Okay. Wow. So it was really close knit. Um, it, there was a private Facebook group because there were so many like threats and carrying on. And I mean, like the PCTA was telling people not to hike. They weren't allowing any talk of people hiking, supporting hikers, anything like that. They were calling trail angels and trail side locations trying to get them not to help hikers that year. Yeah, that, that, that crosses kind of a line because like a help with hikers, sometimes it involves safety. Like I know they were also thinking about safety, but like, especially helping hikers with water in the Southern desert or helping hikers with the ride. So they don't have to hitch on a busy shoulder. Like there's a line there that not helping with 
safety. Yeah, it's blurry. It's a blurry line as you probably experienced. Welcome to our pocket snack ad break. Now is the time during the show, during your hike, during your adventure, to reach into that hip belt pocket, to reach into that gear pouch and treat yourself. Get yourself a nice little snack as we go through a bit of our quote unquote ad. Can it be an ad if we're mostly talking about our own company? Don't know. That's uh, that's for better minds than ourselves. So welcome to the pocket snack ad break. Um, sit down, walk, do what you will, but make sure to grab that snack as you listen in. So we wanted to talk about Eleven Skies. Eleven Skies is the company that we formed two years ago and we are hyper-focused in creating shorts and pants for the outdoors person, the hiker, the backpacker, the rafter, the bicyclist, anything and everything. Built a product that will last for any adventure ahead and it's also born, the very name is born from the Eleven National Scenic Trails so you can be proud to be representing promoting and bringing about awareness to the 11 National Scenic Trails and the very trails that gave us our name and continue to inspire us. So make sure to follow along with us at 11 Skies on Instagram, Facebook, and make sure to go check out our website, 11skies.com, spelled 11skys.com, where you can learn all about us and you can get yourself some gear today. So that's the quick pocket snack ad break. Hope you enjoyed your snack. If you're still chewing, keep on keeping on. Let's get back into the show. Yeah, and it was one thing initially because when I first set out, it was still very kind of up in the air and we didn't know what all was going on. You know, the world was still kind of getting a handle on COVID. Yeah. However, a few months in when basically we'd figured out how to manage this, because really with the PCT, you know, you're out in the wilderness for most of it. And when you go into town, you are it's very easy to mask up, keep a distance, go in, just get your stuff and go back out. You know, your exposure was pretty minimal Mm. and the trail communities basically treated us like we weren't the risk. They were the risk. They were more worried about exposing us than they were of getting exposed from Mm. us. Oh, I mean, because we were coming in from the wilderness, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it did, uh, like you said, you experienced it kind of firsthand, but even my partner and I were doing very small trail systems in the year 2020. And like the thought shifted so drastically from the initial aspect of don't go, don't go, don't go. And then like, I don't know how long it was, six months later, seven months, eight months later, it was like, oh no, go do these trails because you're going to be limiting your impact and limiting your exposure. And it's the safest place to be. And you're like, wait, what? (laughs) So yeah, there's, we were learning as we were going. So, um, Okay, I want to I wanna get to the end of the PCT here. Um, I know that's a quick flash forward, but you're standing at the terminus. You've connected all your footsteps. You finished your first th- through hike. What were the feelings and thoughts going through your head at that point? Were you looking forward to getting back to your life um, with your partner? Like, what were, you, yeah, what were the thoughts and feelings going through your head when you're standing at that terminus? At that point, I had already been planning for a couple of weeks the next hike. I already had plans <laughs> to go down to Florida. <laughs> yeah. Because, again, it's like it's the joke where, you know, you ask for a raise and you get it instantly and maybe you didn't aim high enough. And so here I'd wanted to do this for 10 years. I was getting close, realizing I was probably going to finish. Mm-hmm. And it, it felt like I needed to be aiming higher. So I knew that the wilderness class was going to be on hiatus. I already had been planning to do the Florida Trail. So I was looking at starting at Big Cypress. 
And then um, I had also been looking at the AT. I never really wanted to do the AT coming from the West Coast. The reputation of the AT as far as crowds, parties, yada, yada, wasn't really what I was looking for. But now that I was looking at finishing the PCT, all of a sudden the Triple Crown looked really appealing. Hmm. So you, <laughs> geez, man, <laughs> kudos, <Yeah. laughs> different feelings. Like I remember finishing my first through hike and I'm like, my knees are broken. I need, I need food. I need rest. I need death. Like I can't walk anymore. So man, having the thought before even reaching the terminus, um, that's, yeah, that, that's something, something that's definitely different. So you got there, you finished it up and now you're planning this new hike. So you said you were looking at the Florida trail, looking at the AT, what eventually pushed you over the edge to, edge to combine them all and even go further into the ECT? What brought about that change? Uh, basically, I just found out that the trail existed. I've been huh. looking at the Florida Trail. And then, uh, you know, the Florida Trail, it's kind of like the AT. It doesn't cross the entire thing. And so I started seeing, oh, some people start in Key West. So I looked into that. That sounded like a horrible way to start. Huh. But then I came across uh, one of Jupiter's videos talking about the eastern continental trail and it's like oh you can start in the florida trail and you can walk all the way up to the at and all of a sudden that kind of made a certain sense rather than do florida fly back to california then fly back out start the at and go up mm -hmm. so i texted my girlfriend and i'm like hey you know how i was gonna do the florida trail then the at what if we just did this <laughs> and it was basically off from there. I mean, it was the ECT wasn't really well known. It wasn't um, done near as much. So that kind of that very much appealed to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd done something called the Theodore Solomon Trail, which is another one that's not done very often. And I just really like I said, I enjoyed that experience of having done a trail that's just not as well known. OK, so. <sighs> I guess I don't know the exact mileage of the ECT. It's like 3,800 or is that in the ballpark? 5,000 was mine. Jeez, okay. It's it's a little bit farther. <laughs> it's a it's the AT plus, you know, 2,800-ish. So you're Depending on... what you do. <laughs> okay. So you're doubling your miles from the hike that you just finished three months prior. Was there any worry about physicality going into it? Because you're technically... I mean, with only a three-month gap, you're putting 8,600 miles plus on your body within, I don't know, 12 months. Like, was there any worry about the physicality going into it? Like, was there any training? Kind of walk me through that process. Yeah, I mean, I was worried because, I mean, at the end of the PCT, while I was really excited about what I'd done, I was tired. My feet had a really sharp pain. Um, I was also having arch abrasions and I was having back rashes and stuff like that. So it's not, don't think that I was like superhuman or, uh, you know, doing well by the end of it. There's a reason why my hat says, you know, the world's most okay-ish through hiker. <laughs> I was off for three months, which seemed just long enough to ruin my calluses and kind of get me out of shape because, uh, I didn't do much during that period. Fair. Uh, we were in another COVID lockdown. It was hard to do stuff. Um, and I was just kind of tired. Mm -hmm. And when I started and I'm down at, uh, in the Keys, uh, it's 200 miles of road walking to start with, which was really rough on me. 
Mm-hmm. And you're going through the keys, meaning you've got uh, camping is very hard. You've got a stealth camp. That means, uh, you know, diving into the bushes, hoping they're not flooded, hoping they're not uh, filled with venomous snakes, um, (laughs) hoping there's not already a homeless encampment, which happened in one case, popped into a bush and the guy came at me and said, my bush. It's like, okay, dude, that's fine. (laughs) It's my bush. Don't mess with his bush. (laughs) Yeah. You know, going across seven mile bridge in a windstorm that was so hard, it was almost like pushing me off the bridge in to the water uh that was a real struggle and because i wanted to start three months to the day after i started december 28th so i was out walking through the keys during new year's which was a horrible mistake oh. uh, we ended up having there was literally no choice this one time we ended up paying 300 dollars for the worst one of the worst hotels i've ever stayed in mm. Just, you know, mold, smell, et cetera. But it was all we could do. And it was really hard to find places to stay down there. Because it was just too much traffic on the roads, too much noise, too much, like, people partying. Like, what, what forced you into the hotel? Uh, not being able to find private places to stay. You know, there's not a ton of uh, space there. So some place, So I got really good at looking at Google Maps, trying to find areas with brush that I could go into. Mm. But... It's Florida. A lot of it's swamp. Yeah. So you think you might be able to stay here. You go, and like I said, it's underwater and trash. You go into another place, and, uh, you know, it's visible from the road. There's a police presence, this, that, or the other. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just a polar opposite of the PCT, where at any given point, it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to go for another hour, and there will be a place to camp. Mm-hmm. And, 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 sorry, go ahead. And so that was just really highly stressful. And I, I remembered the high from being up in Washington at the tail end of the PCT. And it was hard mentally just, okay, I'm back out. I'm doing it. I've done this thing that I was raring to do for the last three months. Now I just couldn't wait to get back out. Mm-hmm. And then the magic wasn't quite there for a while. Yeah, the, the magic, especially when you have to find a spot to camp, stealth camp, and like, excuse me, especially in that 200-mile connector, 250, whatever it may be, into the Florida Trail, even at parts on the Florida Trail, the communities, the cops, the locals, a lot of the time they see a person with a backpack, scruffy-looking beard, they're not thinking hiker. So, like, the assumption of what you're doing out there changes, especially from the PCT, where almost everywhere you pass, they look at you and they think hiker. So that, that also adds that difficulty factor to it, right? Yeah, yeah, especially in the Keys. I didn't have trouble when I was on the Florida Trail proper. I never really got harassed or anything else Hmm. that I can remember. But the Keys specifically, I mean, Key West, there's signs up all over the place, no camping. I did take some care to try and look like a hiker. I was carrying hiking poles, which apparently helped, and I had like a PCT patch and a Florida Trail patch on my pack. Okay. Just trying to set myself up for success. I was also wearing really brightly colored clothing because I knew I was going to be road walking a lot. Mm-hmm. So I had, you know, neon green Patagonia or neon orange Patagonia shorts, things like that. So I didn't look like I was trying to blend in. Okay. But yeah, there is this sense of you, you get an appreciation for how hard it is to kind of exist if you don't have a place to go home sometimes. Yeah, you, you know, could. there's no vehicle, so where am I going to go when I can't get into the hotel till three o'clock? Yeah, yeah, that makes it. <clears throat> excuse me, I got to tickle my throat. I'll just cut this out. But yeah, it makes it exponentially more difficult when existing as a hiker is a lot harder with 
the assumption of what you're doing, the places to camp, that makes it way more difficult. So going into the ECT though, again, I want to touch on the mileage change. So you just had a successful hike of the PCT, but were you going into this hike as a, I asked this, as a different hiker, I guess with the specification of a different hike mentality? Because to do 5,000 miles with weather windows, granted you have longer weather windows on the East Coast, but like to do that yeah. type of mileage uh, anywhere, you have to hit certain weather windows. So your mileage has to be pretty insane each day. So was that something you brought over from the PCT or was that a new type of hiking for you? BCT actually has more attainable mileage than you would think, um, mm -hmm. just because kind of the nature of that. You're starting down in the tropics, so you can start earlier. Uh, I knew I was going to have to try and stay consistent, and that was kind of the biggest thing I've been chasing on the last couple of hikes because, I mean, everybody knows somebody that'll do like a 40-mile day and then take a day or two off, you know, 40-mile day, that and that. I was just trying to stay consistent. Mm -hmm. Um the harder thing was getting used to walking on pavement because it seemed like Southern Florida wrecked everybody. Because mm. I set out and uh, two or three days in, my feet are killing me and I'm starting to have like blisters and all sorts of issues and just foot pain. And here I am, I just finished the PCT three months and a couple of weeks ago. I knew I could do a long distance hike and it I felt like I shouldn't have been struggling that much. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I kind of... After the PCT, I felt like, okay, I can do this. I know how to do everything. And the ECT, as you said, was a much different experience because it's just not set up as easy for hiking. So there was a lot of struggle to kind of get used to once I was out there. And I kind of had an inkling for that going in because I knew I was going to have to stealth camp off the road and things like that. But it was still a huge adjustment. Okay. So the fit, the physical part was still an adjustment adjustment. Ooh, can't say the word. I'm wondering about the mental part because looking or at least mentally trying to chew off the concept of 5,000 miles, especially at that beginning, even halfway in, that that does things with the mental game. Were you struggling to find those moments of inspiration or continuing fuel? Like when you were doing 100 miles, 200 miles, 300 miles, and like that number didn't seem to be shrinking at all? Like what was your thought process around the mileage? I didn't know what the total mileage was going to be because at the time the Canadian border wasn't open. Okay. Uh, so I left uh, Key West and I wanted to get through the AT to, you know, do the triple crown requirement. And um, I knew I could hike at least as far as the Canadian border, but for all I knew I was going to get up there and it was going to be shut down. They didn't actually open it until August, which was about a month before I got there. Hmm. Uh, so to me, there wasn't that much of a difference between doing the ECT and the PCT because either way I was starting out and for the foreseeable future, I was going to be on trail. You know, there was no sense of, oh, I just have X months and then I was going to be done. It, to me, it feels like I'm going to be out there, you know, forever until you get really, really close. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't, the early sections were hard just because walking was painful going on the canals and things. So I started off, you know, okay, I do a solid 23-mile day out of uh, Key West, and next thing you know, I'm struggling to make 15 because my feet are hurting. Mm -hmm. And that felt like, yeah, I was never going to get anywhere. Um, 
basically the entire section through the keys was very very difficult okay. and then once i actually got to big cypress that's where things kind of clicked more or less okay because there you're on proper trail well swamp you're underwater for three days and you <laughs> need water but you know it, it's trail-ish and then uh north of okeechobee where again you're kind of off of the canals and the levees and you're in and out of all the wilderness management areas that was where it kind of got better okay um and then it was just stressing about okay well am i going to make it in time because mm. i didn't even have solid numbers on how long it was going to be getting through the alabama roadwalk until i got to northern florida you know <laughs> there wasn't a lot of solid information on a lot of this that i could find were you a uh, quick hit Quick side note, were you behind or in front of Punisher and Boppet? Because I think they were doing the same thing or at least similar things to you that year. Yeah, they started at Key West. They went up to Katahdin and then they jumped to the CDT. Um, I'm pretty sure they passed me at about 8 o'clock one night. Okay. You know, I just saw a blur and they were gone. Um, I, I was in contact with them the entire time, um, you know, just online. But, uh, yeah, they, uh, they were way ahead just because they will do very big things. So were you able to get some information with the Alabama Roadwalk uh, through them? Like, were they able to say, hey, this is the route to go, this is the mileage you need to do, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, actually, that all came from uh, the Pinhoti Outdoor Center. Oh, wow. Cool. Uh, they're a really awesome kind of like hostel uh, business that runs around the Pinhoti, and they kind of adopted the Alabama Roadwalk. And so um, when I contacted Nathan, one of the owners, uh, he was able to send me a track that had some more solid information. Okay. Including how to avoid some of the worst dog attacks. <laughs> yeah. How to avoid that some. That was the big thing on the ECT. People ask, oh, aren't you afraid of like mountain lions or bears since I'm a solo hiker? Yeah. And I've never really been seriously afraid um, in dealing with wildlife, but pit bulls in the South were a bigger. Uh, yes. Those were scary at times. I mean, I am a dog person to the core of my soul. I love dogs. But, yeah, wildlife with all the trails that we continue to do, hike, whatnot, the most, quote-unquote, dangerous wildlife is dogs. Is dogs that aren't leashed or, like, their owners are doing something to dog to make it super aggressive. Like, (laughs) dogs can be dangerous wildlife out there. Yeah, and sometimes they'd be in packs, so I'd have my hiking poles, you know, pointed in either direction, fending off dogs in two directions, and you can't get away from them. You know, you're walking along this road, so they can be with you for a half mile or more. Did you end up carrying pepper spray? Because, like, last year, Magpie, she ended up having to pepper spray, like, two two packs of dogs. Um, because if not, I mean, they would have pinned her down and just started tearing apart. Like, did you end up, ever end up having to pepper spray a dog? Like, have to, like, push it with the trekking pole a little bit? Like... Were they? Did they enter your personal space bubble? So a, a trail angel did bring me um, a little dog spray thing yeah. that I carried for a while. Yeah. Honestly, the bad attacks I had, they were on me so quickly, I didn't have time to screw around with that. What I found worked best was the trekking poles. Yeah. Because if I could get the trekking pole between me and the dog, they wouldn't go through that. Mm-hmm. So usually you just hear a snarl, you turn around and there's something torpedoing at you and snapping at you. And if I could get my hiking poles up, that would work. I had a couple get through and I don't know how I avoided getting bit. Jeez. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you did. So, (laughs) oh man, I don't want to do this, but I think we have to with the time we got going right now. 
for people listening, you're all going to hate me, but let's flash past the AT, flash forward through it. And that's a giant jump, but I really want to get to the CDT this year with you as well. Um, but let's flash past the AT and go to the last little bit of the ECT. So you connect upwards through Maine to the Canadian border. And then from there, as you were saying, you didn't really know where you could go. What was that planning process on the fly? Like you just started pulling maps. You had to use the information from, I guess, COVID was still a factor with the international borders. What was the planning process once you got to that Canadian border with where you were going? So the international AT does exist north of Katahdin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little odd because the uh, Baxter people will swear up and down that you can't connect it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, they just don't want people coming from that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is an IAT organization that has maps. Um, there was even gut hooks for Maine um, and New Brunswick. So that part I was good on. Once the I realized the border opened, there was some testing I had to do, but I knew I could get across. And then I found out that Quebec was going to be a nightmare. Because mm-hmm. Quebec, they're, they're not overly friendly to thru-hikers going through there. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're more aimed at, like, weekenders and short haulers. And they have multiple areas which have different rules which close at different times. And I found out that due to moose hunting and caribou mating season, mm-hmm. I was going to start having issues going through Quebec. So I was in New Brunswick, um, and all of a sudden I didn't know was my hike going to be over in a week or was I going to be able to continue. And I started trying to make plans to do as much of Quebec as I could. And then I actually had somebody reach out who was like, oh, hey, you know, the IAT continues. You should go over to uh, PEI and Nova Scotia. And so I basically hiked up to the Quebec border. Um, I got somebody to give me a ride, went over to PEI, and I just kept going. And at that point, the IAT organization um, had given me a uh, GPX track. So I had that. So I knew where I was going. I just didn't have any information on, you know, I had a couple of water sources, but I really didn't know where I was going to get water, where I couldn't, especially in PEI, a lot of the sources were agricultural, mm-hmm. you know, infused with ag runoff or there was saltwater intrusion. Uh, so I had to start getting kind of uh, flexible on that stuff, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like I was just setting off, uh, you know, without anything until I got to the eastern side of Nova Scotia. Um, at which point I didn't have time to do Newfoundland. I wanted to, but it was now end of October. Mm-hmm. I didn't really want to just end in North Sydney because that's not the you know nicest town. So I decided to just hike another 108 miles up the side of Cape Breton to the northernmost point of Nova Scotia. And so I finished at the uh, uh, eloquently named Meat Cove. <laughs> the feet were probably pulverized to meat at that point too, huh? <laughs> Yeah, and I was tired at that point. I mean, I'd been out for 10 months. I'd done 5,000 miles. Winter was coming in, and uh, that section of Nova Scotia was kind of closing down due to the season. Okay. Um, It was beautiful. The the leaves were all changing. Uh, You know, the colors were everywhere, but there was this definite sense of, okay, I'm I'm getting ready to be done here. Did that add to your ECT, I guess, experience and ECT completion, like the ability to create your own terminus because there were such mitigating factors of covid shutdowns all of that stuff like I, again i'm not super familiar with the ect and its entire construct but i'm assuming there's a quote-unquote official terminus um but being able to create your own terminus because of necessity 
was that, yeah, did that add to your feelings of completion at the end? Did it subtract? Like, what was the feeling when you were finished? What was that stand at, stand at the end, stand at the terminus? Like, what were those feelings there? There really isn't a solid northern terminus. Um, the person that really originally came up with it, Nimblewill, I think he ended up at Gaspé, Jupiter, which is the far end of Quebec. Uh, Jupiter started there, but mm-hmm. it it continues. It's just it's non-continuous from there. You know, PEI, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, and then it actually goes over into Europe. Okay, I've seen people end all over the place. You know, Boppet and Punisher did Key West up to Katahdin. I did up to Nova Scotia. Um, I would have continued over to Newfoundland if uh, I'd had a couple of more weeks or a little longer weather window. Okay. Uh, so it was kind of hard. I, I was attached to finishing at the lighthouse at Gaspé for a long time, and it was hard kind of accepting that Quebec wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, as it turned out, Meat Cove was suggested by uh, a hiker up there, and that ended up being really good. I mean, there's basically you come to the end of the island, you're out on a cliff, five miles from a very remote town in uh, Nova Scotia. Okay. So it it was a really cool way to end. Okay. I like it. So you just finished up 5,000 miles on the tail end of a three month break of 2,600 miles plus. So what was that next point? Um, We know you got into the CDT in 2022, but what were you ready to do at that point? Were you ready for some time off? Were you ready to start planning? Had you already been planning along the trail? Like, what was that next step after the ECT? At that point, I had two of the three Triple Crown trails, and so I knew I wanted to do the CDT. Okay. Uh, we were kind of at a stable state as far as we could manage being around town. You know, Jen was able to get through her school year. Um, so we basically knew we were doing the CDT, and then it was just a matter of killing time until then. I was ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do my volunteer class, so I have to be here January through March. I love that program, but honestly, like right now, um, assuming I was back to full health, et cetera, I would really want to be out doing something rather than just sitting around. Okay. Uh, I, I, so there's always a sense of wanting to get back on trail, wanting to get back to the next adventure. I was very much ready to get back to scuba diving at that point because mm-hmm. that was 10 months without being able to do a single dive. Mm-hmm. So I came back and I fit in as much of that as I could. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I know people that'll do one of the hikes and then take a year off then come back and do the other, or take multiple years. I just wanted to be back out. Okay. So you ended up getting back out. So Again, with the time constraints of this show, we're going to have to fast forward a little bit through the CDT itself, but let's get to the point of where you're at now, where you were at a week ago. So previously, you had done what few people can do is, one, have a successful through hike completely on a PCT, and then very few people do the entirety of the ECT itself, and now you're on the CDT, going after the Triple Crown. There hasn't been many factors. You've had to juggle factors like COVID, whatnot on these trails, but there hasn't been factors that have been so extreme that push you off the trail. So you're in the CDT, you're, I don't know, a thousand miles in, 1500 miles, 1800 miles in, I don't know the exactness of it, but you hit this point um, and you hit this point that you have a decision to make. And I'm going to kind of just let you take it from there. Um, Yeah. Walk me through, excuse me, walk me through this point that you hit where the decision was yours, but also the decision was kind of out of your hands. Yeah. Walk me through the point of deciding to step off. 
Yeah, so I'm doing the CDT, and um, a lot of people aren't aware that the CDT, people know it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure trail, mm. but in actuality, it's 3,100 miles, and you can shortcut a lot of that with roadwalks. Some of the guides actually claim you can turn the entire CDT into a 2,200-mile hike, basically the same length of the AT. Huh. I had been going southbound because I wanted to do the entire thing. I wanted to do the red line. I'd been pushing harder than I had for any of the other hikes, and now I'm 1,500 miles in into Colorado, and I have what feels like an altitude cough outside of Winter Park. Mm-hmm. I wake up, and I'm just in really, really rough shape. Um, I ended up going into town, spending two days being basically delirious and bedridden um, in Winter Park, which is not cheap, and then trying to head back out to the trailhead. So now I'm camped at the trailhead up at 12,000 feet for a couple of more days, and I just keep getting worse and worse. I ended up, uh, it was COVID. Um, I eventually was able to get a test, get into a doctor, and it just hit the crap out of me for about 10 days. Mm. At which point I'm burning through a ton of money because I can't stay at the trailhead. That's not the area to be stuck if you're trying to stay cheaply. Uh, you know, just because Colorado uh, ski towns. Uh, but I was able to recover. I was able to continue. So for a couple of more weeks, I'm pushing on. And I'm not able to do quite as hard a day as by the end of the day. I'm really tired. I'm still filling into my lungs. But okay, I can manage this. I can push a little later. I can go. And then I ended up uh, in mid-October waking up and um, I've got bad diarrhea. I'm vomiting in the middle of a a windstorm where, you know, the wind chills down to like single digits. Mm -hmm. Super miserable. I've been through Noro on trail before, so I figure, okay, you know, I'll go get cleaned up. I'll continue. Um, I ended up going into town for two days, coming back out, expecting to be a little queasy, but, you know, I can push through anything. I can keep going. And I just didn't have any strength. I struggled to make six miles in a day. Wow. And I mean, I was doing 22 plus mile days for most of this trail on much harder sections. And um, so I, and it, you know, it's cold, et cetera. I can manage that. I'm used to being in pain. I'm used to not being at a hundred percent. Anybody through hikes, you know, you're never really at a hundred percent once you're out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I had no strength. It was miserable. And uh, I ended up doing three days of just crawling, forcing myself to make 10 miles a day. Jeez. Uh, came off the trail again and um, went back to my parents who live out in Colorado with the intent of, you know, waiting a couple of days, waiting a week with every intent to go back out. Because mm-hmm. even if I was going to have to push late, I wanted to continue. A, I wasn't ready to be off trail. We had planned for me to be on trail through the end of November, and I just, I really wanted to go monument to monument. Mm -hmm. And so for a week, I was basically at my parents, barely out of bed. I would get up, you know, visit with them, drink some coffee, go back to bed, pass out. And I ended up waiting about 10 days, going out on a hike back behind their house without a pack. And I mean, I couldn't even walk up an easy hill without stopping multiple times. Mm. At which point it's like, okay, you know, it's now late October. Um, I can't hike now. I don't know how much longer this is going to be, but I can't just sit here, you know, forever. Yeah. So at that point it was just, there was nothing I could do. Yeah. So, excuse me. I asked that because the decision is really no longer your decision, but it's still your decision, if that makes sense. And like we were talking before the show, even personally this year, 
I experienced the same thing when factors arose. Like I went into anaphylactic shock and had to call the hike for safety. And I had, I don't know, years prior that I never stopped a hike. I would always go from terminus to terminus. And Yeah. I, I asked that. I just had to accept I did everything I could. 
Yeah, because I asked that question because you have to have that mindset, at least some threshold of that mindset to be a quote unquote successful through hiker. Like to do what you've done, the PCT and the ECT, there's thousands of moments that it's very hard to express to a person listening in of where you had that mental fatigue, that physical fatigue, certain aspects of danger fatigue. Like there's all these factors that you push through and that you know that when you push through that it's the choice of continuing forward and you can do that. But then there's that one thing that is not, it's not a choice. It's not a choice. So that's why, that's why I asked you because I was curious how your own feelings were. And this might be a side tangent quickly. And I, I'm sorry for going over an hour, but there's a whole lot of feelings I have about this too. Um, side tangent on this is, did any questions arise for you um, even with the trail not giving you an option, did any questions arise for you what of like, I guess the best term for it is like a philosophical question of what is through hiking? What does through hiking mean to me? Like, did it make you become introspective of what you had been doing for the past two years? Like, yeah, I was curious. Are, are there any deeper questions that it kind of unlocked? I mean, not really, because I, I started looking at, you know, okay, well, by definition, this is a failure because I didn't make it monument to monument. But on the other hand, I was really happy with how it had gone. You know, I, I got to do the red line. I was able to do the Idaho section, a lot of sections that I hadn't seen before because any of the other people I know who had done the trail had skipped those sections. Mm. And overall, the experience, I mean, my girlfriend was out there for two months with me on trail. That whole interlude was just, we really enjoy being on trail together. We really enjoy making videos and other things. And there's never been a sense of the time is wasted just because it's such a cool, memorable experience. Finishing the PCT, the big thing that we kept coming back to is that was the coolest thing we'd ever done, you know. It's, uh, you know, 100 plus days of every day you're doing this big adventure and yeah, you're bored, you're tired, this, that and the other. But it's always different and it always feels like it's worthwhile, at least to me. Yeah. Well, so it left me wanting to continue. It left me, you know, when I came back and I was bedridden, I was already making plans for how I was going to get back out and adding a whole bunch of other things. <laughs> So I'm solidly booked from the end of March when the wilderness class finishes until the end of November next year. There you go, man. Well, kudos for having such a healthy mindset, man. Like, again, I ask that as a personal bias. And I think it's important for people to understand as well, just the general concept of those feelings. But like, when I got pushed off a trail this year, I had two weeks that dude, I was in a weird place. Like, I wouldn't say it was a depressive state, but like, I was, I was questioning the concept of life. Like I was like, what's going on? So <laughs> kudos, kudos for having a healthy mindset, man. Um, they, I, see, I struggle when I return to town after I've been here for a couple of weeks, like I'm still kind of in this transition period where I'm just getting back and remembering, Oh yeah, I have this. Oh, I have this. Yeah. Oh, I can have coffee and sit there in the morning. Yeah. I'll, I'll struggle more in a couple of weeks just as things kind of slow down. Mm. Um, even though we have, we're paddling the Swanee, we're going to be, you know, we've got a lot of stuff planned, but I just, I don't sit still well. Fair. Well, yeah. The, once that shine wears off of reintroduction and then you're in the reality of being there. Yeah. I understand the feeling completely. Um, masochist, I'm sorry for taking a little over the time I, we were talking about, I have one very last question for you to kind of wrap it up and 
You're an interesting dude, man. I wish we could have gotten into depth more on some of this stuff. But very last question I want to ask you is what does the trail mean to you? So you could take that as the PCT, the ECT, the CDT, um, any the Condor Trail, any and all trails. But yeah, what does the quote unquote trail mean to you? To me, it's about getting out and spending like longer periods of time. I like running into people. I like meeting people, but I don't go for the, you know, piling into a hotel room with 10 people or things like that. Mm-hmm. Kind of the experience I'm after is just that sense of I'm out there, I'm moving forward, that kind of constant sense of progress of having a goal. I've got X hundred miles behind me. I know I'm going to be just like every day is going to be different and you know, I just love being in my tent, uh, you know, far away from anybody else at night. I sleep better and it's just mentally a lot healthier for me. Love it. I'm stoked to see what you and, uh, taters get up to this year, man. You, you always got, yeah, those domino adventures lined up, man. It's super cool. So I want to give the show over to you. Um, so you can let other people know where they can follow along with your adventures this upcoming year and, even years in the future. So yes, the platform is yours. Please let people know where they can uh, connect with you and follow along. Okay. Uh, I've been doing uh, YouTube videos all through the Eastern Continental Trail. And this year, um, I do them completely from the phone. They're really fun to do. And that's been really rewarding. So on YouTube, uh, my trail name is Masochist. I'm the only Masochist trail name I've uh, met out there. And my channel name is First Church of the Masochist. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, uh, Matt on a MTN, Matt on a Mountain, okay. um, and those are the primary ways that uh, that I publish stuff. Okay. And um, we do hikes, um, we do like distance paddles. We're going to be paddling the entirety of the Suwannee next year. We're going to be paddling the Mississippi um, headwaters down to the ocean. Um, before that, I'll be out on the AZT, and after that, I'll be back out on the CDT. <laughs> busy and then we might do the american discovery trail the next year is kind of what i'm leaning towards Jeez, no no rest for the weary man <laughs> we don't have anything to come back to you know that's yeah. one advantage i think that once i got rid of my apartment home base is a van in storage and a storage locker so it's not like i'm missing my couch i'm missing my desk or anything like that yes and, and that's that's so, a that's a whole can of worms too is like the concept of when you ask yourself the why out there is like well, this is the best thing I can be doing with my time right now. Yeah, and I'm not looking, you know, I, I miss kind of the comforts of life, but I, I don't have a home base that I'm really aching to get back to. My girlfriend is, uh, you know, very into the same sort of thing. So to us, it's more just, okay, what's the next adventure in being out there versus looking forward to being back in an apartment or something. Love it, man. Love it. Like I said, I'm stoked to see what you get into this year. So, Masochist, man, thank you so much for joining on the show. It was, it was a pleasure chatting. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm glad we were able to make the time work. Well, that'll do it for this week. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to pop on over to Apple Podcasts or whatever player you use and leave a rating and a review. It helps other people find the show. This podcast is brought to you by Eleven Skies gear that will change with you not for you so give us a check out at 11skies.com and that's the show see you next week